Welcome to episode number 38 of Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm Justin Gordon, your host, and in this episode, we have Allison Monaghan-McGuire, who is the founder and CEO of Walk, which is a walking navigation app based on visual cues like turn right at Starbucks, left at the bank. And she's also the founder and CEO of Monaghan McGuire, which is a premium boutique consulting firm. She's a passionate entrepreneur, high energy. And in this episode, we go through how she launched and grew her business, the crazy challenges she's had to overcome in her company and kind of shifting to the walk app we have now. Some exciting things coming up for her as well. And we go through kind of how she's navigated these ups and downs and manages her time with all the things she's working on, including hosting pitch workshops, growing her company, doing the consulting, all different things. As always, the show notes are at justgogrind.com slash podcast. And over on iTunes, please go search Just Go Grind. Go scroll to the bottom and you'll see what place where you can leave a rating and review. And you can also subscribe. Please do that. Without further ado, here is our conversation with Allison Monaghan McGuire from Walk. Allison, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much, Justin, for having me. The second attempt. Here we are again. <laughs> we have made it back to the podcast. We did. Once more. We and did. thank you for that, by the way. Yes. Uh, it's my bad on that. It's actually, the Starbucks people are bad. But it's actually Starbucks. It's okay. The corporation. There's so much I want to talk about in terms of walk and everything you've been working on. I guess to start with, the easiest is going to be where did walk even come from? The idea of a navigation type of app. So walk from the very beginning of walk or walk from the very beginning of my idea to make a walking navigation app? When did you start walking as a child? Just kidding. (laughs) Um, All the way to the beginning. As a precocious child. It was All the way back to the beginning, beginning thoughts of walking apps. All right. So I grew up in L.A. and I did not walk in L.A. I drove everywhere. But when I moved to Boston, I went there for university and I had to walk because I was a broke college student and walking was free. And then I moved to London and DC and then New York and I kept walking in all these places and discovering new parts of the city and found a really fun, great form of exercise, whatever. And not whatever. It's an important, serious <laughs> thing that I'm saying. It's important, yes. I just <laughs> use that as a throwaway, whatever. Um, but, yeah, but anyway, so I found it as a really great way to get around. And I wondered why there wasn't a walking navigation app. There were a lot of apps for driving, but nothing really for walking. So I did some research and found that a lot of people wanted a walking app and would really like to know what's happening on city streets and how to navigate places better. So I started working on it. Do you want me to give you the long version? The oh, short actually, version? I want to pause for a second there. So whenever, because people are interested in launching and growing businesses who be listening to this, I think it's important. So you, doing that research, like what did that research phase look like for you trying to figure out if this was something people wanted or needed? I started talking to anyone who would talk to me. Like literally strangers in coffee <laughs> shops. Would you use a walking navigation app? If you had one, what would you want in it? And that started to give me indicators of, yes, people want this. I don't think there was anyone who said, no, I don't want it. Somebody might say I wouldn't use it all the time. Yeah. But nobody said, no, I'll never be interested in this existing in the world. So really just interviewing people. I did not quit my day job. I, Important I am <laughs> I am fearless and I take big risks, but I am not reckless. And so I did a lot of interviewing And then I was told about this thing called the Lean Startup Machine. And if you listeners have not (laughs) heard of it, it is a way that you can go for a weekend and pitch an idea, see if people get excited about it. The winning pitches get to work on it over the weekend, and then you get to see is this a viable business or not. And you might even get a team to work with. So I pitched this idea of a walking app that was real-time information on city streets, kind of like ways before walking. And I had a group of people come up to me afterward. I was really shocked that I won the pitch competition. (laughs) It was my first ever pitch competition. And we worked on it over the weekend, and we had all sorts of really interesting insights. I was working with two women. One was, and they they both had full-time jobs, and then this other guy. And started working on it more and more, collecting interviews until we got to the hundreds of interviews. And then I had talked to thousands of people at some point. And at that point, I thought, this is really 
an opportunity for me to jump as soon as I can get some money. Yeah. And I was told by a friend of mine, she said, oh, I'm interested in investing. And she was a former colleague and we had, were just having lunch and she casually said that. And I didn't know that I was raising investment. I had no idea how to raise money in that way. And yes, that was a total stroke of luck, but I also had other family and friends that I went and pitched for money. And I raised $100,000. I moved to New York. I thought that money would last me a very long time, <laughs> and I was very wrong. But I moved to New York, quit my job, and was ready to rock and roll. The wow. two women that I was working with as my co-founders, they had to keep their full-time jobs. So they weren't able to make the jump with me. But I found two guys to work with that could actually build the product. And so one of them, was, one of them stayed on, and the other one stayed back in D.C., and... The other guy and I were living in New York, and we were really excited about this app. And I got a co-working space that I was splitting with amongst three people, and that was the way we were able to afford it. And it was a one-person <laughs> space, and it was very kind of janky startup days, but it was it was really, really fun. And we were exhausted and super excited. We had all these partnerships with community organizations. I worked with a, um, I worked in politics before I got into tech in progressive politics, in organizing, and also in and out of Congress and in Parliament in the UK, working on national security and human rights issues, in particular those related to women. And so we had partnerships that were in that arena. One had data on where women were being roofied, so the actual bars that women were going to and consistently getting roofied, which is shocking that we don't have that data anywhere and can't access that. So we had that data in the app. And then we had data from this LGBTQ organization where they knew certain members were being harassed on certain streets and certain streets were more friendly to queer people. And then we had an anti-racial profiling organization. And that was at the time when Stop and Frisk was at its height. And this gave information on city streets of where young brown and black men were getting pulled over, if you will, and, and stopped and frisked, and so that the guys could avoid those streets. So there were a number of reasons that you could use the <laughs> app. And, and my first pitch to a big investor, their feedback was, oh, it's a women's safety app. And I was really, aff I, and then he said, oh, that's a very small market, which was offensive, but also made me think I really don't want this to be marketed as a women's safety app because it's not taken seriously. Sad, but that's just the way we live. So I pitched 50 reporters, 5-0, and again, had no idea what I was doing, had no idea how to pitch reporters. I just Googled like <laughs> how to pitch reporters, and one of them got back to me from Crane's Business Journal, and he was interested, and we had an interview, and the following day, it went live and the piece was more about it being a woman's safety app and it kind of missed the point, but I was excited because it was our first piece of news and uh, media and I was happy to show people and, and excited. And I said, should we push the app live? Because we had given him access to the app the day prior to launch. And he said, no, it's the, it's the summer. Everyone's in the Hamptons. Nobody's going to read this. <laughs> so we're immediately deflated. And then following day... I start getting phone calls and text messages and Facebook messages of people saying, have you read Gawker? And I said, no, I don't read Gawker. And they said, you should read Gawker. And so I went on Gawker and the front page article said, smiling white people create app to avoid black people. And it led Goodness. to the picture of my face and, and my business partner. And my business partner and I, my business partner at the time, and I had taken a, a silly tongue in cheek back to back photo to kind of make fun of Silicon <laughs> Valley and how silly these photos are. And that was the photo that they led with, which we were so, I was so embarrassed by. He yeah. found everything to be funny, but then it became a really scary time in my life where I had death threats and rape threats and I was scared to leave my office, leave my house, be seen with my business partner anywhere, especially because we walk back to back everywhere together. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, I, it was about six months and we had a really rough time. I was super defensive. We started being on every news network, ABC, NBC, CBS, Telemundo, CNN. And then, um, do you want me to say the CNN thing or no? Yeah, go okay. for it. Cause it's like an extra story on yeah, a story. Yeah, yeah. 
It's, so, it's fascinating. Yeah. Okay. So we were asked to be on Don Lemon's show, and I've been watching Don Lemon's show since I was in D.C. working in politics, and I love him. He's so great. Don, if you're listening, please have <laughs> me on your show again. So we go on to be on Don's show, and at this point, my business partner and I have been sitting next to each other in interviews every day, every minute of the day. We finish each other's sentences, and we're really comfortable taking interviews together. And mind you, this is a high stress situation Very because all stress. the all the media that went out was was ripping us and and was saying how how racist we were and we weren't aware and it, it missed the point in so many ways. Yeah. But I couldn't shockingly control the media narrative, yeah, even though what? I thought I could. And so anyway, we are at CNN. I'm getting hair and makeup done, and I see that Gaza is blowing up on the screen, and I'm thinking we're about to go on talking about this app and somehow this does not make any sense yeah. with respect to in comparison to Gaza blowing up obviously so we start to walk toward the where we're going to be recorded to Don's to Don's office but I guess it's his <laughs> office but like yeah, essentially that's where it works on camera office <laughs> yes <laughs> and they say actually the, the news is pretty crazy tonight we need to split you up and we were pretty shocked at that and scared because we'd never spent time apart in right. in all of these for the past few days. And so they put us in two ante rooms. I'm in a windowless room with this kind of 1980s background, weird neon, blurred colors. And <laughs> they mic me up and they clip me into the chair. And there's a huge, I don't know if you've ever been on CNN or any any big publication or news media outlet, but they had a big countdown clock to when we were, like a huge maritime countdown clock. A TV that showed us where what was happening on the news right now and what Don's show was broadcasting and then info about, and then the camera and then yep. in our ear was the producer saying, here's what's going to happen. Here's when things go on, except the producer was screaming, fuck, 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 because the news <laughs> was so bad. Yeah. And I started talking because, because I needed them to hear me or do a mic check or something. And my mic wasn't working, but my phone was about, 10 feet away from me and I was clipped to the chair and so I didn't know what to do and the countdown clock is on and I'm super stressed and I don't know and I nobody can hear me and I'm about to be on air on Don Lemon Show. And so I wriggle out of the chair and I run and I grab my phone and I text my partner and I say, hey, my mic isn't working and, and they come in and they fix it, thank God. And then we're sitting there and the countdown clock continues and my anxiety is rising. And then Ferguson happened and Don was reporting on Ferguson and I thought, this is about to be really bad. Like, if yeah. I thought it was bad before, this is really bad. And I don't want to be capitalizing on human no, lives. Like, no, this no, is no, not no. of interest to me. And this is horrible. And the producer who's screaming, fuck, 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 he... So I'm super stressed and I'm anxious about the time countdown clock is happening and watching Ferguson blow up and, and being super scared in for... A number of reasons and then all of a sudden the producer goes fuck well guys i'm so sorry but the news is really crazy tonight we're gonna have to have you on tomorrow and we jumped out of our seats and we ran to the bar across the street and had our first time to talk and have a breather from this craziness and did not go on don lemma's show so that's why i'm saying don what's up yeah <laughs> get me on your second show. chance second chance please a better so, context perhaps. yes please and then we it took me some time before I realized this isn't really working. And we had an investor come into our office that was excited about investing. My ex-business partner, he would tell you this if he were sitting here. He has a very limited vocabulary. And he thinks that the use of large words is inefficient, which actually is the opposite. Because if you use a large word, it explains the concept. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. But he was the investor was showing me and my partner stories on the app and he said this is really disturbing that some of these stories are just disturbing and yeah and we said oh what are you talking about and then he pulls up one and excuse me for the word i'm about to use but he but it says dirty kikes on wall street and my ex-partner says again with the vocabulary oh allison that's funny did you post that and i said oh my god no of course i wouldn't that's horrible no get out of this room so it was kind of a giant clusterfuck, and, and we came back after that meeting into, I'll never forget to see my other partner, and, and he said, we have to change the name, right? And I said, no, this is much bigger than this. We need to change everything. Yeah. And the name of the app, which I don't think I mentioned, was called Sketch Factor, which 
was what all the media was really jumping on. The word sketch, the word sketchy. People then, I guess, synonymized sketchy with black, which is super offensive on a number of levels. But but that's what these predominantly white male reporters thought. How did that name even come about in the first place? So in all of the interviews that we did, hundreds of interviews, people kept using a lot of research. People kept using this word sketch and and sketch and sketchy mean different things. And I use the word a lot with my friends in college to mean something out of the ordinary, weird. Yeah. And sketch could be dangerous, but more like weird. Be like, ooh, sketch. And that was really interesting to me. And it seemed like the vernacular of millennials used the word sketch to mean a number of different things. The word sketchy, however, usually is negative. But... People said something sketch and that was funny, something sketch and that was weird, bizarre, dangerous, all sorts of things. And so we thought it was really cool to have one word that encapsulated many different meanings, not understanding. I mean, our goal was to hit 10,000 users in six months, which is a lot. Yeah. And we hit that in the first four hours of launch. Like our systems crashed. I mean, it was classic startup failure success story, as you will. <laughs> classic, classic story. You hear yes. the story all the time. But, but anyway, so that was... That was that, and we then worked for weeks on figuring out what a pivot was. And as a startup founder, our startups are babies, and a pivot is people are like, oh, you pivot, and it's fine, and everything's great. It's so hard to pivot as a startup founder because, for me, I realized that this was being driven a lot by my ego and me wanting to prove people wrong of, no, this thing that I made was had all this great data. We had all these great partners. We had built this. My original co-founders were two women and two women of color. And I didn't understand why I couldn't change that. Now I understand a lot of that now. But when I pulled back and thought, if I'm just doing this for my ego, this is not going to be sustainable business, obviously. Right. And so then we pivoted to walk. And walk's concept is giving walking directions based on visual cues instead of north south so walk towards starbucks make right at chase bank which is total which is a totally objectively helpful yeah as opposed to subjective subjectively helpful with right. with sketch factor and so we swung really far in the opposite direction to avoid any of that there's a lot to impact there yeah how i mean that transition like, how did you approach that process of changing? Because you knew you wanted to do some type of walking-related app still. What got you to that point of figuring out what the walk of today is or like that type of vision? Like, how did you get to that? The walk of today. I love <laughs> how you said that. The walk of today. The walk of today is about to be very different because True. we're going to do a big launch in, I don't know when this is going to go live, it but was. mid-March. So Ooh. it might be, it might coincide with that big launch. That we're doing at South by Southwest. Exciting stuff happening, Ooh, people. I might be there, by the way. Really? Debating okay. It. Let's talk. We should chat. So, yes. Yeah, so, what was I saying? Oh, the walk of today. <laughs> the walk. You can pay me later for that. Okay, great, great, great. You've already trademarked it. I get it. I get it. <laughs> exactly. So, the walk of today, I've been really fortunate in that I've worked with incredibly smart people. And one of the startup lessons I've learned is to work with people who are smarter than me in their areas and they can help elevate my intelligence and my decision making. And my current partner, Andrew, is so amazing. We've been best friends since we were 17, 15, 17, 15. And he is a creative genius. He's designed for Cartoon Network, The Simpsons, HBO, Cosmos. He's He's done incredible, incredible work. And we had designed all these different iterations of what walk would look like. But the core concept was really just using visual cues to keep your head up and explore as opposed to keep your head down in your phone, turning around and around, figuring out which way is north, which nobody knows. And if you say you know (laughs) the way that's north everywhere, it's like, go be an explorer. I don't know what to tell you. But (laughs) but yeah, so so the design has changed and evolved over time and it's been fun and really hard and I love it, but. The walk of today is is not just the actual product that that we have, but for me, it's more of the team that we've built yeah. and all the learnings that we've put together. To that point, there, I remember seeing the list of all the people on your team, and it's obviously it's like a rock star team. We had to talk about that and how you built that. Everyone's always wondering, oh, I need a co-founder, or I'm trying to build a team early on to you know, build a product, whatever. 
how did that team come together? How did that happen? Because this is a public thing. I'm going to be polite, but if any of you are interested in a real story, you can call me after. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I've gone through a lot of people. And, and honestly, investors will be freaked out by that. And they'll say, oh, people are leaving. What's happening? People are jumping ship. But the reality is... As a company, as a startup, we grow out of people. We don't agree on things. It's totally normal. And so my philosophy in life is I will meet with anybody who will meet with me. And I've met amazing people. It has taken me a long time to find somebody on the tech side because I started the com- I started Sketch Factor. I knew nothing about tech. I had worked in a tech company, but I was doing corporate comms and business development. So that's not a lot of learning about APIs. But... In order for me to learn about building an app and creating architecture and database management and all that stuff, I worked with a lot of people, some of whom were had the abilities to do what they said they were able to do and some of them did not or maybe over-promised. And so I finally, I now have an amazing partner. I have amazing partners in general and... Again, but it's taken a long time for me to get there. And and I would say I've talked to so many people. And from this event we had last night at USC, so many people are saying, I have to find a technical co-founder, technical co-founder. <laughs> and we tend to settle for it's as if I think everything's like dating and startups are much like dating and who you get in bed with, if you will, you're marrying. And it's a lot of, I guess, sister wives in that way because I have a bunch of, well, I guess it's brother wives. I don't know. <laughs> or, or, brother husbands i don't know i have a lot of husbands it turns out but um it's complicated it's, right. it's complicated it's but it's it's kind of like a marriage and it's and if you think i need to get married tomorrow you're gonna take the first guy off the street and maybe that guy's great but he might not be he might be a sociopath he might be a really nice guy he might be really funny but not have the skills it, i mean so Thinking about it more deliberately is finding people and and a plug for my consulting firm is we can develop tech. So if you're a non-technical person and you need somebody to develop an app or a website, we can do it. The name of that firm? uh, Is Monaghan McGuire Creative Collective. There we go. It is a mouthful, but it is totally worth it once you go to our website, monaghanmcguire.com. But what I wanted to do with that company is create a company where I could help startup founders who are non-technical build products that were technical, but speak to them in a way that's not condescending. Don't charge them an hourly rate that you would get in third world country. People who are charging you nothing, but you go back and forth on the product. It's not what you want, et cetera, or a massive agency that's going to charge you millions of dollars for something really small. And I love working with people because they're smart people who just don't understand tech in the way that you can when you're running a business. And I wish that I had that when I was starting my first company. So I would say first work with somebody like us. And if not us, there are many other folks who can help before getting into bed with a quote unquote technical co-founder. You can find smart people to work with and then find your CTO later. It's not really. Where would people go? I mean, obviously besides your wonderful consulting firm, where would people go to even search for those people. Obviously, I've heard from multiple people like finding a team in Ukraine or overseas, and then it's like, okay, find a team in the United States after, but you have to fix everything from the first round. Like, I mean, how would you approach that besides, well, your consulting company, which is clearly gonna be an amazing option. Yeah. But how else Where do you go? You go to justgogrind.com and he has a link out to Monahan McGuire. That's right. Yeah, I would say, so I've worked with individual developers. I've worked with development firms. There are pros and cons to both. I cannot plug us enough in this, in that we are designed for this specific purpose. If you do not know tech or you have an idea and you want to see it, we also don't upsell you. So a lot of firms will say, oh, I want to build your whole vision. And you want to do that because you're excited about it, but it ends up costing you all of your life savings plus going into debt. I mean, it becomes kind of this crazy thing. We will, we will downsell you. Is that a thing? We will, we will just slim down. What is the primary feature that you're trying to build and build that out for you? If it works and you're happy, then we can keep building. But if not, you haven't spent a ton of time and money on that, which is a totally different approach. Yeah. Much, I mean, it's a much different approach. I think, and it seems like 
obviously a better approach because someone coming into this whole process, yeah, they want to build out this grand vision, and especially if they don't have any tech skill at all. It's so expensive and so just beyond what you even need. Like, can you build something that you can use to validate the idea anyways and then make some traction and right. then get investors? And, you know, there's right. so many things, you know, steps that have, have to happen beforehand. And you should explore other options before yeah. that type of thing. Other members of your team. So how many people are on your team now, roughly? So we have, there are four partners. Okay. And then we have, I don't know, including all of our advisors and stuff. I don't know. We a have lot. like a dozen people or more i don't know and they're all remote yeah okay how is we're that? all over it's awesome it's awesome because it means the time we spend physically together is that much more special but also we're all around the world so the time zones are kind of wonky since i've been in la it's hard communicating with europe but but we work on it i mean it's great we all work well together there are some days I'm extroverted and I love being around people. So there are some days where I miss being physically around my team. But for now, it really works for us. And it makes it that much more viable for people to start companies if you can work with people who are around the world. Right. And what are the, I mean, to get down to the details, like what software are you using to keep in touch? Like how often are you keeping in touch? How often do you meet in person? Like I want to know all the things. <laughs> You don't want to see my calendar. It's very disturbing. But, but we use Slack for communication, file sharing. We use Trello for project management, although my team is kind of on my ass to move to Asana because we've grown out of Trello. I'm into it. I just don't want to use it myself. I don't know if that's bad, but I mm. I just don't want to like... Anyway. I love Trello, so I'll I love that. Trello. It's easy. It's so can, easy. That's it's the, like a board and you move the thing. Yeah, you move it over. Anyway, and, yeah. I just make sure it's getting done. I don't actually do anything. I just sit around like a like a puppeteer, a, a puppet master. Puppet, puppet master. master. Puppet master. Also maybe a puppeteer. Maybe a puppeteer. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. Technical term. Uh, yes. Yeah, so we use Slack. We use, I mean, my rule with my team is we'll communicate with Slack. Sometimes we'll text. If it's an emergency, I will call you. Yeah. And so if I call you, you better pick up. And if you're in the middle of a dinner, you miss my call. It's not like my house is on fire. And if you don't show up <laughs> immediately, my house is going to burn down. But because I don't see myself as somebody one of my developers once told me that if you say asap to a developer it's the most unhelpful thing you can do if you say i need this by friday at five that is so much more helpful than asap because then how do they prioritize you have five items that are asap yeah so to me asap is i call you and i'm saying right now i need you to drop everything and do this thing yeah and i respect people's time and so I try not to contact people on the weekend unless it's necessary. I try not to contact them late at night. But the reality is we're a startup. And if you're not available around the clock, yeah. it's really hard to make a successful business when you're starting out. When you are in corporate, like, that's a different story. But yeah. we're not there. But you kind of, yeah, you have to be at least available yeah. at the possibility because you're a startup. That's Yeah, and our clients also expect that of us. And... I wouldn't have any less. I mean, we're scrappy and we're all super responsive and we all are in this together and we all have put so much into it that we can't fail ourselves now. Yeah. And with the multiple things you're working on with a consulting firm, and you also have obviously the walk and the pitch workshops as well. <laughs> How do you manage all of these things together? And <laughs> How does that go for you even? So would you like the number of my therapist or like what would be <laughs> the most helpful? I've already talked actually. Yeah, um. okay, great, great. Yeah, she's the best. So yeah, I, a lot of people ask me how I manage my time and I say not well. But you do something. I do something. I mean, I have somebody who manages my schedule, which is great. I put everything in my calendar, meaning I put my to-dos in my calendar. My system is pretty analog in that you can see now I have, well, maybe you can't see, but I have post-its post. I, I have to physically write things down and physically cross them out. It gives me some type of pleasure to do that. I do like that as well. Yeah. So that's my urgent things. And then when, when I have to do items, I put them in my calendar. Like I need to follow up with this person who I still haven't followed up with and hopefully he won't kill me, but <laughs> that's probably the best I can do on the to-do stuff. And then I love the pitch workshops, which yeah, we haven't talked much about my pitch work one-on-one -on -one and, and in the workshops, but 
I have to do some prep work for it. But if I'm doing one-on-one work with a client, I have to have more prep work. So I have to build that in. And now that I'm in LA, driving is a thing. So I can't be sitting at a computer. Yeah. I know maybe you don't Some people understand don't do this. That. Some people get Some people don't drivers. drive. I don't know how that would be. Specific lift drivers. I don't want to say any names. Car Some people don't back, drive. But yeah. Anyway, but, um, but yeah, so... I don't know how I do all of it. I'm just really passionate. And I'm also writing a TV show, which I love to talk about on this, take this opportunity. But yes. but really, I I love what I do. I am sometimes totally exhausted and sometimes I exhaust myself. Yeah. But I just really like it. And I have never been any other way. Even when I've had a nine to five job, I've always been doing stuff on the side. It's just how I'm wired. Yeah. You just want to be doing oh, because you enjoy it, like you said. Like, yeah. I mean, it wouldn't be one of those things where you're working just to work. You love all the things you're. I assume you love all the things you're working on. So yeah, there are some things that some that I'm doing just to make money. Honestly, yeah, yeah. But I see that as a means to an end, and yeah. my end is very big, and I'm okay. With making Boy, the sacrifices that one has to make, well, right? yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's something that not a lot of people talk about. I mean, for two years I didn't draw a salary, and that was incredibly hard because I don't have a trust fund. So, oh, yeah, it yeah, sucks. <laughs> I know it's the worst. So, but people are like, "Oh, figure it out, and you're gonna go broke, and you're gonna max out your credit cards, and you're gonna be eating like ramen and all this stuff." And I thought that's ridiculous. That will never happen to me. So maxed out my credit cards. <laughs> I was eating my my thing is pot stickers. I eat a lot of pot stickers. They're easy to make. I don't have to think about them, and they're like six bucks from Trader Joe's. Yeah. So I did all of the things they said that I was going to do that I didn't believe. And also, as entrepreneurs, we think that we the rules do not apply to us. Just full stop. That's what we think in life. So the rules that apply to all entrepreneurs were like, those don't apply to us. I'll never max out my credit card. My bank's calling me like, so we're going to need you to pay like at least $5. (laughs) Um, But I just decided like this is not sustainable. This is not the life I want. I don't want to think about ordering avocado and how much extra that's going to cost me. I don't want to think about paying rent. I don't want to think about doing fun things with friends. I want to go out and treat my friends to drinks or dinner or whatever. And now that I'm able to do that, now that I went from a scarcity mentality of like, I can't make any money. I'm doing my best with my startup and, and I can't take anything. I felt like it was taking money from the universe. Now I feel that there's abundance and things have really changed for me that I started attracting that wealth. And that's changed. That's been a huge change in my life. So you said you didn't take a salary or anything for two years. And then once you started that, I'm just curious on the timeline too, with like the consulting thing and the pitch workshops and everything. Like when did those start along the process of like you being an entrepreneur and having that walking app, Sketch Factor, and then walk. But like yeah. the first two years of, was it Sketch Factor? You yeah. didn't take a salary? And no. Then, or no, I no, love no. walk. No. So... Oh, before that. I started, so I moved to New York. I had some savings, which I thought would last me forever. New York eats savings for breakfast. So I took a small salary from the amount of money I raised, and then I raised some more money. I would take, I mean, my salary would wax and wane per month. I mean, when the company, if a deal didn't come through, I was the first one to cut my salary and myself. I had a team. I was paying salaries and benefits and workspace. And I was always the first on the chopping block, which I know entrepreneurs do, but so it was waxing and waning. There was no real amount that I was making consistently. And then it was like 2016, late 2015 through 2016, beginning uh, to mid 2017, I didn't take a salary. And for a while I lived off my savings. And then for a while, my boyfriend at the time was supporting our lifestyle And I was super grateful for that, but it made me feel so pathetic. And especially as a woman, I never wanted to be like the wife who sits around and I was not sitting around, (laughs) but I just, I've never been like, I'm going to marry rich. I'm like, bitch, I'm the rich bitch. Like, (laughs) come the fuck on. Like, he's going to marry rich. Get out of here. So it made me feel super pathetic. And when I looked in my bank account and I saw the few hundreds of dollars that I had, I thought, well, this is not going to work. 
And I had read a book called You're a Badass at Making Money, which is a huge plug here. Read it, read it, read it. Jen Sincero, she's amazing. I still need to write her a thank you note. I have since bought that book for a ton of entrepreneurs and have said read it because the biggest hurdle to making money is believing that you can make money. And then I made almost 10x from what I had made before. And that blew my mind when I looked at, now I'm looking at my finances and I mean, just totally blew my mind. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm saving for my beach house in Mexico so you can come (laughs) visit me there. Yes, we'll do. Definitely take you (laughs) up on that. We haven't really talked about the pitch workshops too in depth here. So a lot of entrepreneurs obviously are trying to raise funds or even get their idea pitched to other potential co-founders. What are some things that they can do to improve their chances of either getting funding or finding a co-founder, improve their pitches in general? Like, what are some things people can do? Number one thing you can do is hire me Uh, to come in for a workshop. (laughs) I give four-hour workshops or a four-hour one-on-one session and then, or retain me on a monthly basis. And I work with clients once a month or, or sorry, not once a month. I work with them monthly for the different types of pitches that they might need. The the key pieces, I mean, gosh, I have a four-hour workshop, so literally I, I say this all in four hours, but a couple of the highlights I would say is confidence is so key. If you don't have confidence in yourself and you don't have confidence in your idea and your vision, the person you're talking to isn't going to have confidence in you either. And people can read that. People can feel that. Again, it's like dating. You go on a date and if the person's like, oh, I want to marry you. Like, let's have children tomorrow. You're like sitting there. Whoa, Whoa too much. Not, not ready for any of this. <laughs> and so it's kind of taking your time to be intentional about what your pitch is. People, entrepreneurs also focus a lot on how it works. We want to tell you the thing that we're doing each of the steps that make it work and how it's so cool and different. But the reality is nobody cares. And what I mean by that is if you don't relate the problem that you're solving to the person you're talking to, I'll repeat that. If you don't relate the problem that you are solving to the person you are talking to, it is not relevant to their life. Yeah. So you have to create a problem related to the person you're talking to and then present your solution as the only solution. And then after that, you talk about what your vision is, how the world will be different. You can then talk about how it works, what a market opportunity is, and why you, why are you uniquely qualified to do it? And if you don't believe that you're uniquely qualified to do your company, like, okay, sit down and figure out why you are. And if you're not, go find something else to do. Yeah. Because, and and not to say that I haven't had moments of doubt, because I certainly have. And when we pivoted from Sketch Factor to Walk, I felt like I wasn't the expert on this anymore. And I didn't feel like I was uniquely qualified. But I have since changed my mind on that. So confidence is super key. The other piece is having a one to two sentence pitch, which for me would be, have you ever been somewhere unfamiliar and your navigation app said head north? Well, walk gives directions based on visual cues instead of north-south. Walk towards Starbucks, make a right at Chase Bank, for example. So in that short piece, you're able to identify yourself as being somewhere unfamiliar, getting out of a subway, walking around, and your navigation app is pointing you in a direction you don't know where you're going, right? So that relates to your life. And then I'm presenting my solution as helping you, but navigating you in a way you understand. Typically in pitches, and I'll give you this for free people, you don't want to use words that are more than two syllables. You don't want to use big words in your pitches. And this is the beginning part because you're introducing a concept that someone has never heard before. They've never heard you before. They've never seen you before. And so they need to put it all together. And in order to do that, you have to use simple concepts put together in a new way that allows people to think big. And then memorize, memorize (laughs) your pitches, memorize that one to two sentence pitch. You have to memorize it and then memorize your full pitch. And the great thing about that is then you can improvise based on the energy in the room, the pace at which you deliver things. People need to slow down. I'm a fast talker, but slowing down really gives something else. (laughs) 
a little something. <laughs> oh, extra to your something. Pitch. Yeah. So I would say those are some of the key pieces, and also there's some character work, which is super fun to do. But yeah, are there any like particular things that people like screw up in that? I mean, obviously, it could be the things you mentioned, but are there things you always see that people mess up in terms of pitches or have struggles with? Yeah. As entrepreneurs, as I mentioned, we're super excited to talk about how things work. Nobody cares except for us, I swear. And they do, they will after a while, but make them excited. The other thing is we talk a lot, like a lot, and it's too much for people. So if you think about if you've been to a class and there was a guest speaker or your professor or whatever was talking, there's my whatever, whatever <laughs> was talking and the the conversation or they end their lecture and they say any questions and nobody asks questions. That person answered all the questions in their talk, as opposed to when people ask questions, it's more of a dialogue. It's more exciting. People want to be engaged. So you have to not give the people you're pitching all of the information you know. And I used to do that all the time. So it's not just other people I see. So people do that. People deliver. There are certain speech intonation pieces that people don't do. I didn't mention that in my pitch work, we... I use acting skills. So I teach people acting skills. I come from an acting background. For many years, I was an actor, which means that's why I'm so flavorful in my personality. <laughs> but um, but as a, an actor, we learn different ways of delivering lines. We learn memorization. We learn character work. And all of those things are really important when you're giving a pitch. Because if a lot of entrepreneurs are so afraid of messing up that they get paralyzed with fear. And fear can dominate our bodies, our minds, our voices. And so I work a lot with my entrepreneurs on taking fear out of our bodies, our minds, our voices, yeah. so that we can really conquer the world. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and with the pitch workshop, as well as the consulting firm, how have you been getting clients for that? Or how are people getting like, hearing about you? How has that happened? Well, I'm very famous, so people Look just come to me. Yeah. <laughs> No, I mean, I have gotten all of my referrals. I'm just confirming this. I've gotten all of my consulting on pitches or pitch workshops, one-on-one -on -one work through workshops that I've done or referrals. So somebody will invite me in for a workshop. And then every time, with the exception maybe of one, but almost every time, I have gotten at least one client out of it after every workshop. And... The great thing about that that it shows me is that people are finding value from it and then they want to work more in depth and they right. see that they can work more in depth with me. So really all referrals and what I was supposed to do today that I didn't do today that I need to do tomorrow is work more on my business development, my own business development, my pipeline. And I know so many people and I just need to reach out to them and say, hey, can you put me in touch with these people or these people or would you like me to come in for a workshop? Like I haven't done any of that. Yeah. And it's just been me offhandedly mentioning what I'm up to and somebody will say, I want to bring you in or from the, was it a USC thing? No, it was from, I did a, a cross campus meetup at, on, on a Friday coffee meetup and I was the speaker for it and I did a mini teaser workshop and somebody had an Instagram story about it. And I would like to thank that person <laughs> wherever they are, but, Who are you? but, uh, <laughs> but their friend reached out to me and said they they thought the story was really interesting and they wanted to work with me. And I thought, cool. I mean, so it's really been all referrals. Yeah. I mean, these are all like free workshops you put on different times then leads to the paid gigs or both, I guess, technically. So the workshops that I do for companies, for startups, they pay me and yeah. they bring me in and I've done a handful of free things. And those are typically for educational institutions yeah. or I'm trying to think if I've done, no. Uh, or I think I donated one for a raffle for a silent auction, but, but really I always go in and I'm paid, but then it ends up, it's, it's really meaningful for me to do the workshops because I usually get a little bit of hands-on work with everyone in the room, yeah. depending on how big the room is, but, and I prefer smaller groups, but I've done it with a lot of people. But then I love the one-on-one -on -one work because I really get to get the entrepreneur's personality to shine. And my job is not to give you the words and you the script to make the best pitch, 
but it's to give you my ideas of what the pitch could be, and then you put it in your words and make it fit with your personality. Right. How many workshops do you think you've done? I'm just curious. I was doing this work before I officially instituted my company and my workshops. Like I was just doing them and helping people and didn't really think that it could be something that I did as a business. And then I realized, oh, people would like to pay me for this. And this is really creating value for people. And also that this doesn't exist anywhere else. There's a lot of pitching work people will help you with in making a good pitch deck. People will help you with in delivering something with the best intonation. Or And I've seen pitch workshops that have similar content to what I provide. But I have a totally different approach. And that is helpful for for most entrepreneurs and intrapreneurs that i've i've yeah. met yeah and to totally completely jump off topic <laughs> you mentioned this is why i'm thinking about it, i have to bring it up yeah so you mentioned all well all these things it's, it's kind of storytelling in a way as well but you mentioned writing your own script what's going on with that what how did that come about tell me way more so you've gotten a taste of my little story from sketch factor and walk and my pitch workshops and acting and politics and whatever but there's my whatever again. So I have this one thing I will just say in the workshop where I say, what is your ism? An ism is a word that we fill where our brain is trying to catch up with our mouths. And so we fill the silence with it. My isms are um or ah, uh, typically. But right now, for some reason, I'm saying whatever to I, fill the space. I bring space. out whatever from you. I think Apparently. that's a Justin thing. I just see you right. and I think whatever. Thanks, Allison. Yeah. Well, maybe you could Appreciate be your shirt that. that says whatever. Maybe that I'm just reading that over and over again. It's possible. But... but Anyway, so I've been writing a book on my experience as an entrepreneur and then a lot of, I would just come and tell my friends all these crazy stories and they would say, you know, this would be a really good TV show. And I have a lot of friends who are not straight white male entrepreneurs who have very different stories than those guys. And and I have a lot of guy friends who are straight white male entrepreneurs and they are great. I have a lot of friends who are not that, and they are also great, and our stories are so different. And so I thought, well, I would love to create a show where, to go back to my entertainment roots, but to create a show where it's about, let me think of if I can remember my log line. I haven't memorized it, but in the New York startup world of sex, drugs, and hardcore code, Alexandra O'Tierney must break through the old boys club to build the next billion dollar business. Ooh. So I oh, think damn. that's the log line I'm going to use. But but the idea is it's an ensemble cast. It's really about all these stories that we don't hear about. And it's in this nitty, it's, it's in this gritty world that's very, that has these huge polarities of things are really amazing or they're really terrible. But the face we must give to social media, our friends, investors, is that everything's awesome all the oh, time. That's great. But really we're crying ourselves to sleep. So I wanted to express that. And we're at the intersection of Black Lives Matter, Time's Up, Me Too, where people are interested in other stories and other experiences than what we've been saying. And the great irony is that a lot of my show revolves around these people pitching standard white male straight entrepreneurs, VCs, VCs investors, yeah. and and not and getting a lot of this doesn't make sense to me. I'll check with my wife. If you're a woman, I'll check with my wife to see what she thinks. Mike, you don't have. Okay, great. <laughs> so I'm not even making it like a female product. It was, if it was about yeah. tampons, maybe, <laughs> but okay. But um, like you could know yourself. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. But the great irony I found already is that in talking to some and, and not all, not all white men, but that now I have to convince old white men that the show is worth making yeah and it's so funny yeah so anyway i will get the show to shonda rhymes shonda rhymes and i will make the show i'm very excited about this (laughs) but but yeah I'm, i'm super excited i love writing i love creating i'm super excited about the characters and they're based on a lot of people in my life but i've been able to merge personalities and i'm having a blast with it how i mean how long have you been working on it for roughly well, again, there's kind of technically and non-technically. I mean, non-technically, I've been working on it f- since I started my, since I had my idea. Yeah. Meaning I'm always thinking about stories, crafting stories, writing stories. But officially, I would say the past 
year, maybe the past year and a half, two years. But then I wrote a pilot like about six months ago, I want to say, maybe seven months ago, which I wrote pretty quickly. I wrote in about a week, but I had done all this background research and everything. And now I'm working on the treatment, which is going to be easier to show people and get them on board with the concept of the show rather than a pilot, which just shows one episode. So there's the show, this, <laughs> this, this, there's pitch workshops, there's yep. consulting, there's walk. Um, how are you managing the busyness slash ups and downs, like entrepreneurship and everything? What, what works for you? Well, I'd like to have a plug for my friend, the wizard. <laughs> yes. <laughs> His Instagram handle is person is awake. Person is awake. I am seeing. Check it out. I am. I am talking to him next week. I think, and I will tell him that he has now officially two plugs for me. But <laughs> I, I am interested in alternative ways of balancing myself out. I mean, let me be clear. I'm on antidepressants. I'm totally fine talking about that publicly. I have a great therapist. Fine talking about that as well. I also suffer from PTSD. And so there are certain things that I I deal with with that. And I find with the wizard thing, I have a friend who's a poet and her fiance is a wizard. And when she said my fiance is a wizard, I thought, cool, like like a wizard at coding or something. I don't know what you mean by that. And she said, no, no, wizard, wizard. And I looked at his Instagram and he wears he wears the Merlin hats and he has a huge white beard and he looks like wizard. And so I met him and. And we talked about his work. And and so he said he would do a session for me. And we did a session. And what he's focused on is how can we make small shifts in our lives that can at some point end up... So I know we're in downtown Los Angeles, everyone. So you hear the the ambulance. The sirens, that's why. But to interrupt me. But but yeah, so he said, what are these small things that can add up to big impacts in our lives? So if you want to lose 10 pounds, some people say, I'm going to run 15 miles a day, every day. And that's aggressive for anyone, but also that's totally unrealistic and you're setting yourself up to fail. What if you started getting up off the couch and going for a walk for 10 minutes around your building every day? Just start that and then see where it goes. And for me, I have a hard time. I have I have uh, most of my personality, I feel, is this taskmaster, perfectionist, must get things done, super goal-oriented, achievement-oriented, and go, 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 work, work, work. And that's what exhausts me sometimes. I'm like, dude, chill out, Allison. Calm down. Like, I'm doing the best I can. <laughs> Talk about saying to my best friend, Zach, like, chill the fuck out. <laughs> right. Just literally tell right. each other, but yeah. Exactly, exactly. And that's what I, I sometimes tell myself. But, and then I have this other side that is when I'm with my friends and my best friends call me Al and... I'm fun loving and I'm funny and I'm interesting and I'm the best ever, but no, (laughs) but I'm just kidding. But, but I'm much more relaxed and I'm not thinking about constantly achieving and sometimes, and I have a hard time going from taskmaster and coming down to Al unless I'm literally on vacation. Like I can just be in my Al zone on vacation. And even then sometimes the taskmaster is like, let's work on the script. Let's, Oh, have you thought about that? But the wizard back to the wizard he said, what's a small action we can incorporate so that you can hand off the taskmaster side of you to the owl carefree side of you? And so I give myself a hug. Now, when I want to move from Allison chill out to chilled out Allison. And I found that it really helps. And I know it sounds kind of silly or whatever it sounds like, but it really helps me. And it's a different way of thinking about managing my own anxiety and stress. And the other thing is that I'm trying to do little things here or there. I'm not like, I don't play video games. I don't play games on my phone. I don't watch YouTube videos with like cats and whatever, but I do love dance videos on Instagram. Like dance. So I'm a dancer. I dance uh, ballet, hip hop and modern, a blend. So if I dance, that really gets me out of my head and into my body. So I'm at the gym, I will go and dance and I love that. Or I will, if I'm at home and I'm working, I'll take a second to just watch a really cool dance video. And I love watching how people move and think about movements. And so those are the little things I'm trying to incorporate to make my life a little less 
insane. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important everyone to find their own specific thing, right? I mean, whether it be seeing your wizard and giving yourself a <laughs> hug in between, whether He's it be great. meditation or working out or... Person is awake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Check them out. Make sure you don't forget that. I am that. not getting paid. <laughs> oh, we'll just post-production. Chop that out. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Give them all a shout out and everything. But it is important to find something that for you works. And I think it just takes testing it out, talking to other people, getting out of your own little space to figure that out. I mean, even if it's a few deep breaths or like a quick walk around the block. I know um, people do that. Like they go for a walk every like hour while they're working or whatever. Something to like calm down something. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's important to find that. Along your like entrepreneurial journey, path, everything, have there been any resources like books, podcasts, audiobooks, anything else that's been specifically helpful for you in any regard besides your wizard? Well, obviously this podcast. Yes. Like, just go grind. One, just go grind.com. Do you have that? Yes. Oh, yeah. oh, <laughs> just go grind.com. Go there immediately. I am not a podcast person other than this podcast. I have only listened to, I think, two podcasts, and which is funny. A lot of my friends are like, you're not a podcast person, but I like listening to music. I mm. find that – so You're a Badass at Making Money was awesome, really elevated my thinking on money and my self-worth. The Chew Dog by Phil Knight, the founder of Nike, amazing book – so just so honest and gr- well written and so it felt so real and where else do i go i i'm a part of groups like dreamers doers and summit and others where i have a a place to go to either vent or ask questions yeah and i can say have and and a lot of other people will post in these communities or talk to each other very candidly like I just had a client screw me over on this thing. What do I do? I mean, I've jumped on the phone with people or they've jumped on the phone with me and it's been a really amazing supportive community. So anyway, I'm trying to think, I think you asked me this last time with the Starbucks people and I came up with another couple books, but. I, I mean, we can always add in the show notes, but I mean, those are, I haven't read You Are a Badass. I've heard many people talk about it. I actually suggested it without having read it, which yeah. is something I don't normally do. What's wrong with you? Don't but uh, yeah. vetted from multiple people. Yeah, so yeah, I yeah. would say that's that's the other one. Shoe Dog was amazing. Like yeah. I've, read it, I've already read it multiple times, which I don't yeah. do with many books. I thought of one other one. So You Are so you are a Badass and You Are a Badass at Making Money. Yes. The Making Money one. And the Badass is great, but I found the Making Money one to be better. I just read, so two other ones, Never Split the Difference. I'm so afraid to tell people about this book because I'm afraid that now everybody will know my secrets, but it's amazing. It's written by a former FBI hostage negotiator. It's about negotiation. It's amazing. I love negotiating. It's super fun. And and it's amazing. But the book I just thought of was Bad Blood, which is about Theranos, Elizabeth Holmes' company. So women get under 2% of venture capital funding. Elizabeth Holmes got, I'm making this number up, but it's something like 90% of that 2%. Thanks so much. If you don't know the story of Elizabeth <laughs> Holmes, just Google Theranos, Elizabeth Holmes. Also, she's a sociopath. Also, The Dropout is a new podcast that tells her story and interviews from other people that were close to it. And it's amazing. Oh, really? Amazing. Like that. Yeah, I wait every week for it to come out. It's, really? It's that good. I know somebody who was in the book, which I was surprised to see her in the book. But and then I messaged with her later. But fascinating story just on how all these people were fleeced by this woman. And there are so many stories that about people being screwed over. This was just really fascinating to me. And it's a huge book. And I read it in I don't know, a day and a half, maybe. Yeah. It was so juicy. I have to check it out. After listening to the podcast, I'm like I knew a little bit before about it, so but I didn't realize the crazy. level. Yeah, the crazy. Depth I mean, of crazy. deception and everything was just yeah. like holy. So shit. that's more of like a, a book on not, what not to do, and then <laughs> oh, that's a field guide on how to yeah, become. Yeah, 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 exactly. Deception works. Billion exactly. dollar valuation. Lots of funding. Barbara Corcoran had a book called Shark Tales, and it was kind of funny and cute. But she had some interesting anecdotes and, and ways of thinking about things and PR and worth worth reading as well worth checking out yeah i mean there's so many good resources out there it's like you just find one and start and then you can find yeah. another one and over time you'll read you'll yeah. figure out what you really want to listen to or read or to- i will say don't read the founder's dilemma and now everybody's going to read that because i said don't read it but really 
it's a it's a thick book. It's like thirty dollars. It's not worth your thirty dollars. Go and buy a friend a drink and or two with that thirty dollars. It is a book where I was told to read it. I got it when I was starting the company. It literally said every problem that a founder could have, and then it listed the reasons you shouldn't do any of the solutions. So literally, it gave you no practical advice. It just said. The founder's dilemma, this terrible thing or this terrible thing. Well, here are all the things wrong with either choice. And I'm like, what is this book? Why did someone tell me to read this? So don't read that book. Save your $30. It's funny you mentioned that. I bought it already. And I'm like 100 pages in. And so far, it's interesting. And that's actually one of the most popular classes at USC for MBA. The Founder's Dilemma? For MBA. It's I think it's called Founder's Dilemma. Yeah. Noam Wasserman's a professor at USC. Is that the author? Yeah. Oh, God, I'm um, sorry, but like No, I mean yes, I like the candid opinion. I haven't read all of it, so I don't know what to say. But if, if someone doesn't give you a clear so idea stressful. of what there is and it's like It was just really stressful, I found. Yeah. Like this is not helpful at all. I'll have to decide that I'm like, <laughs> like i have like a, a queue of books yeah, constantly I'm sure, where i'm, I'm like sure. fuck what's what's yeah, the next one ordering you know? books, yeah. yeah and some i haven't popped open yet but yeah you know there's so many but one day <sighs> we'll see um as we're kind of like wrapping up here one of the things i just want to ask is for any like aspiring entrepreneur or someone has an idea and wants to build something this is going to be really broad but what would you tell them any parting advice for any like aspiring entrepreneurs entrepreneurs make sure your idea has some degree of validation talk to people talk to strangers if you talk to your friends and family about an idea you have people want to be nice to you and your friends and family want to help support you unless they're bad people but they'll say oh yeah that's a good idea or cool or whatever until you actually jump and do the thing and then they're like you're crazy no, but I like the idea actually but yeah <laughs> but yeah until that point go talk to strangers and say and ask non-leading questions do you have this problem? Yes or no? Oh, everybody's saying, no, they don't have this problem. Maybe this problem isn't really a problem for anyone other than me. Okay. Do you, okay, you have this problem. Do you need a solution? Yes. Have you found the solution? Yes. Oh, what solution have you found? If they found a solution that's an existing competitor, okay, then what makes your product or service better? Or no, there's no real solution right now. Okay. Pitch them your solution. Would they use it? But don't lead them. I worked. At, I mean, I was an intern at a polling firm for a while for a political polling firm. And there's a way to ask leading questions and non-leading questions. And don't lead them to answer a certain way because you're not doing yourself any favors. I would say if you're just starting out and that's what you're thinking about, start talking to everybody you can about your idea. And one of the biggest misconceptions that startup founders have is that if they talk about their ideas... They're going to get out and someone else is going to do them. Well, let me let me tell you this right now. Zuckerberg, what? I can guarantee that someone else has had your idea before. You're not the first person. Sorry to break it to you. I'm not the first person to have any of the ideas I've had. But I'm the first person to go after it in the way that I have. So you need to talk to people and have them go after giving you feedback of, is this worth it or is this not? Because if we think, oh, I think that anyone I talk to is going to take my idea. Here's the reality of that. Let's say you meet someone at Starbucks, they tell you an idea and you think, wow, that's a really good idea. I'm gonna go quit my job, raise money, figure out how to make this thing, find a team, make my life miserable, have a really good time, but it's really gonna be hard. No, you're not gonna do that. You're gonna let them go and do their little idea and whatever happens, happens. Right. So get over that idea and start going out and talking to people. Yeah, I think it's super important. And something that, if you if you read a little bit on entrepreneurship or talk to a few people or go attend some classes, whatever, you'll learn that. But for people who like haven't gone through that at all, they're like, oh, I have an idea. Hoard it in yeah. here. It's like my own little thing and not yeah. talk to anyone about it and just start building things. And it's like, don't oh, shit. It. Then you build this, waste a lot of time and money, and then you don't sell anything. And you're like, yeah. wait, what happened? Or you find out that something else exists that's exactly the same. Right. Exactly. And they're like, oh, don't you know about this company? No, <laughs> no, I did not know about it. No. Yeah. And even once entrepreneurs have, quote unquote, learned this lesson, they still don't believe it. But like, please, it's the most narcissistic thought we can have is that someone is going to stop what they're doing and then go and do your idea because it's so brilliant. Yeah. 
not to say that I haven't had the thought. We all have the thought as entrepreneurs, but give it up. And, and to that point, just to go a little further too, like even if someone else, well, someone else already has the idea, someone else may have already built something. Again, to your point, like being different or doing it a different way is also completely valid. Because like there's so many examples of companies that are in the same industry or whatever, but they do something differently or whatever. There's room in the marketplace if you're good. So don't worry about like the, oh, the idea itself. It's like execute. Mm-hmm. And that's what actually is going to matter anyways. Yeah. So yeah. 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 Allison, where can people go find you online, hear more about you, what you're working on, all that stuff? MonahanMcGuire.com is spelled M-O-N-A-G-H-A-N, McGuire, M-C-G-U-I-R-E. Monahan has a G in it. So you can also search for my name, Allison Monahan McGuire. You can go to my website, walk, www.walk.walc.me. You can find me on all of the socials, Monahan McGuire, Twitter, Instagram, whatever other things. But yeah, Instagram is usually where I post my business related things. And, and um, if there's a workshop you want to go to or anything, shoot me a note via DM. Thank you so much, Allison. Thank you. Have a great afternoon, evening, whatever time it is, people. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. As always, the show notes are over at justgogrind.com slash podcast. And you can support the show over at patreon.com slash justgogrind. And please, please leave a rating and review over on iTunes. It does help more people find the show. Hope you enjoy this episode. Have a great day.